Blog Talk Radio. collectively 
It was accomplished by the work of tens of thousands of people, people from all walks of life, people from all races, creeds, proclivities, you name it, every kind of person you could imagine in some way, shape, or form has impacted the space program. But it got a couple of words. There's a lot of things happening right now. A lot of good things happening right now. A lot of ugly things happening right now. A, a lot of um, potentially powerful things happening right now. I've been taking as much as I can in. I've been listening to a lot of people that have been in a lot of places. I've tried to limit my mainstream news consumption because, well, frankly, I don't trust its point of view. And it doesn't really matter which news it is. could be the quote-unquote mainstream news. It could be the the, the Fox News, it could be the NPR News, it could be the Al Jazeera News. I don't, frankly, trust any of them because I just don't think there's a lot of true journalism happening anymore. I believe that most of the news agencies that are handing us copy are there to promote something, an agenda, an ideal, um, a product, some combination of those things. The people that are selling us those stories are doing just that. They're selling us these stories. Now, I've been in places many times recently and in years past where a significant event happened. I've even done interviews where I was so excited because I was able to interview with a significant news source more than once. And, you know, most of the interviews that I received or, or was able to give were from, I would say, fairly progressive-leaning uh, sources, NPR, um, a, a number, I'm trying to think, there was there was a, a, a German version of NPR, there was um, Huffington Post that did an interview with one time, um, and a number of them, but they were all generally would be considered a, a progressive point of view, which you would think might be favorable to the stories that we were talking about. In most cases, these stories had to do with prisoners, um, had to do with criminal justice reform, had to do with many of the issues that are going on today. Maybe not specifically racism um, and, and the effects of, of policy against groups of people, but in the broadest sense, of course it had to do with that. All of the 
issues that we have been championing for so many years um, are wrapped up in that in so many different ways. But you know what? Every single time, might have done a 20-minute interview. In one case, it was hours of, of footage. one case, it was even interviews with federal prisoners. Probably more than an hour's worth of footage. And I believe, I don't think that one ever even got published. One of them, I think there was a line out of, you know, a five-paragraph article. One of them was a line that was so taken out of context that it almost told a different story. Certainly didn't tell the story I told. And these are from supposedly friendly journalists. Imagine what happens to somebody who is trying to disprove what you're saying or prove an opposite point. And that's just my personal experience. I'm a nobody on the big world stage. I don't have any funding. I'm not, you know, my organization's a ragtag, grassroots, all-volunteer team. We're awesome, but, you know, a lot of mainstream folks haven't heard of us. Maybe that's why we didn't get the right kind of coverage. I don't know. But I always thought that journalism was supposed to tell the story that was happening. But I learned the hard way, just as I learned when I got locked up and when I spent years in the court system, I learned that things aren't what they're told to us that they might be. They're not what we were taught in civics class, the way things happen. We weren't, they're not the way that we understand things are supposed to be. No. I think as we gain an experience and we learn firsthand how things are, we realize, wow, you know, things are not the way that, that, I think many, many, most, maybe most people think they are. Maybe they're not the way they should be. At the same time, I have experienced countless things that happened at an event that was being covered. was right there when it happened. Saw it, felt it, tasted it. Never got mentioned. never got mentioned. I have to wonder when we're being told a story, you know, how are we expected to believe that we're getting the real deal? You know, even when you're at an event, how much of it are you even experiencing? You ever been to a big protest? I have. I've been part of some pretty good-sized protests over the years. What do you see? What do you experience? You experience what's around you. You hear what you can hear. But, I mean, even in the Occupy movement, there it was sprawling. It went for a long, long way. 
and you were only able to experience what was immediately around you. And a lot of these events are so loud that you can really barely even hear what's happening right around you. Even a concert, you go to a concert, what can you experience? You experience what's happening on the stage and maybe what you can see, a few things. But, you know, if you're sitting over here, you only know what's happening over here. Some crazy thing happens over there, you're never going to even know it. So I think it's important, maybe, for some of us that are interested in forging some real change in the world, that we be mindful of what's happening. What's happening? Pretty broad statement. When we're out looking around, we're looking at what's in front of us, what's around us, what's to the side of us. What do we see? Do you see the beauty? Do you see the ugly? Do you see the joy? Do you see the pain? Do you see the big things? Do you see the little things? Do you see the the almost invisible things. Whatever it is you see, there's probably a lot more that you didn't see. I wonder, are we mindful of that as we're seeing them, as we're experiencing them? The painter paints what he sees, what he feels. Go into an art class and you sit a bowl of fruit or a model or a tree or whatever it is, a hundred people paint the same picture. You look at these pictures without seeing the subject matter, would you think that these people were all seeing the same thing? Some of them maybe, some of them maybe not. How important is it that we recognize the big parts, the little parts? When you have a conversation with somebody, are you just listening to the words they say? Are you looking into their eyes when they're talking? What's happening? You know, we live in a world of text. And I don't know how many problems have happened because of text. Emojis really don't do the job. You say something, you type words that don't have the right inflection, somebody gets upset. It happens all the time. You look at somebody when you're talking, you're in the same room, you feel their energy, well, well, it's a lot harder to misinterpret things, isn't it? We don't do a lot of that anymore. What do we hear when we're hearing, when we're listening? Do we hear the loud things? Some people say, I talk really loud. I talk really loud because I want to be heard. But you know, sometimes we talk real soft because we want to be heard. Sometimes when you just quiet down and you take a minute, people that want to hear you will gather around. What are we saying? You know, I know people, there's people in my life, people that I love dearly, and it seems that every word out of their mouth somehow is, is a problem, a complaint. And I and I I want so badly to share joy with them. And sometimes I don't know that I can. Sometimes I feel like, wow, it doesn't matter what happens. Only thing you're gonna see is that problem. 
And then there's other people that don't see any problems. All they see is the joy. And I wonder, you know, I'd love to live in your world where there is no problems. But somewhere in the middle, we might call reality. And then finally, before we get to our guest, the question that I have is, what do we do? What do we do? You know, something big is happening right now. Something that could affect everything is happening right now. More than likely, though, unless we do something about it, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, this will be just like the 92 riots. And for any of you who remember, it was a big deal. Big deal. Big deal. They burned down South Central, looted and National Guard and curfews and all of this crazy madness because the cops were charged with beating this man, Rodney King. But in the trial, they got acquitted. Now, this was before everybody had a camera. So the footage, though, was there, and Rodney King was certainly beat up by these cops. It wasn't maybe quite so stark. I don't know what happened, how how these cops got acquitted, but they did. And the people rioted, and South Central L.A. was destroyed. And all the people that lived there were destroyed. And all the businesses that were there were destroyed. And those very same people were the people that were outraged at what happened. And they were the victims of what had happened. And they suffered for another 20 years. Some businesses never recovered. And no real change got made. No policies really changed. Anybody who deals with South Central L.A., cops haven't changed much there. Policies haven't changed much there. Demographics haven't changed much there. There's been a little bit of uh, uh, gentrifying that's gone in in a few little spots, but for the most part, South Central is still South Central. And that could happen here if we let it. We've got a guest today. His name's Austin. And the way I understand it, Austin was, um, and I hope I'm not getting bad information, but um, the way I understand it, Austin was at a protest and was present when some things were happening that didn't get reported. And um, the very same thing that I'm trying to uh, see to happen right now which is sharing the true information, sharing the stories as they're happening without having a bias or a purpose beyond telling the truth, telling what's happening. And um, so Austin's here to join with us today to tell us about his experience. Um, And I think, let's see, I think I've got you here. It's showing that you're here and that you're, uh, 
Is this working? Austin, are you here? I'm here. So I'm going gallery view. Ah, got it. Okay. I am still new at this. <laughs> All right, Austin. Well, welcome to the show. And uh, I appreciate you coming on to tell your story. So I understand that you were uh, participating in some of the protests recently and um, have some experiences to share with us. Yes, sir. So um, Saturday, this past Saturday, May 30th, uh, I attended the Dallas protest uh, in downtown Dallas, uh, which was scheduled to meet around 2.30 at City Hall. And um, we we actually didn't show up to the protest until right about six. So when we when we showed up in downtown, we parked by the JFK Memorial. And I don't know. Um, I'm just going to try to paint the picture for anybody who's not familiar with downtown Dallas. Uh, the JFK Memorial is <laughs> the JFK Memorial is right at the entrance to downtown when you come off of Interstate 35. And so we parked there, and it was about five. So my intent was to make sure if things got really wild that I had a very quick way to get out of downtown, back onto the highway, and out of town. Okay. Um, right. And so uh, we did. We, our plan was to park there and to walk the five or six blocks to City Hall where the protests, where we anticipated uh, the protest being. However, by the time we arrived on the scene, the protests had actually become a march, and they had marched several blocks closer to, to where we emerged, which was off of Griffin Street and Jackson Street. And for those, again, who, aren't familiar, who may be familiar with downtown, there's a little McDonald's. We call it the Ghetto McDonald's. It's right there in downtown. And we uh, that's where we saw the huge crowd. Um, People on the sidewalks and the grass and the parking, the adjacent parking lots, uh, definitely a lot of people in the streets. Uh, my count was, you know, in the hundreds of people that were there. And in the distance, you could see Dallas police with their riot gear, uh, heavily armored. They had tanks behind them, um, and they were lined up in a formation on the street. Now, uh, when I say there were hundreds of people there, they were easily about 50 yards, about a half a football field away from the police. Uh, nobody was throwing any water bottles at police. Nobody was, you know, in the faces of the police, you know, being aggressive. Nobody was um, tearing things apart. Um, it was a big group of unarmed civilians who were peacefully protesting and uh, petitioning their government under their First Amendment rights. Um, we had been there no longer than maybe five minutes. And mind you, I wasn't even in the street. I was maybe 10 feet, 15 feet from a sidewalk uh, in the grass, you know, uh, just, you know, observing and joining in in chants and um, just kind of taking in the experience. Uh, and without warning, without provocation, uh, Dallas police uh, began to start shooting people, started shooting rubber bullets into the crowd uh, to disperse the crowd, and they began pepper spraying people uh, who came anywhere close in contact and began launching tear gas canisters and flashbangs. Uh, when I say 
that downtown Dallas at this point looked like a war zone. It absolutely looked like we were somewhere, just a picture a, a war scene in Venezuela or it, in Syria or something to that degree. It was, it was chaotic. People were running around. You couldn't breathe because of the tear gas. Uh, I myself got shot with a rubber bullet. Um, and you in no way um, uh, were a threat, a danger. Um, we're, we're, we're being uh, uh, aggressive to the cops. I mean, you weren't doing anything that warranted that. They weren't commanding you to do something and you were not doing it. They just fired into the crowd and you happened to be there. Yes. Um, so I think the only thing that they could maybe say that we were doing was impeding traffic. Uh, but DPD should have already had that area all blocked off. There was no reason to not block it off. There were all, it was a planned protest. There were hundreds of people there. So uh, well, just because... To be honest, I, in, in all of the reporting I've heard, and again, part of what I'm trying to do is get the actual story here so that we can all look at it as, as, as the truth. Um, I haven't heard anybody claiming that impeding traffic is a reason why anybody's done anything. I mean, I've heard them say curfew violations, I obviously, you know, harming property and, and that kind of thing, but I haven't, I've seen protests for the last week in every street across the country and nobody said anything about that being a problem. So I, I would have to lean that that's probably not the reason that they would have done that. Agree. I, I would say that wouldn't be a very good justification for chemical weapons on a, an armed civilian base. Um, so um, they, as that happened, uh, they began to advance their position. Um, and it wasn't until after the tear gas was deployed, after the pepper spray was deployed, after they had shot numerous civilians with rubber bullets, at that point, then they declared that if you do not leave the streets, if you do not move out of the streets, you will be arrested. Um, so they ultimately did decry that that was what was happening, that wasn't right. But after, right, they, it was, after they attacked you guys. It was shoot first and then, and then declare a warning afterward. Got it. Um, so many people, the street was cleared pretty quick. Sure. Um, people got out of the streets. Uh, but as you can imagine, this turned what was a very peaceful protest into mass chaos very quickly. I, I'm talking almost instantaneously. Um, while people weren't in the streets, those of us who remained on the sidewalks in relatively you know, close proximity, when I say close proximity, I mean within 100 yards, because nobody wanted to get near the police. I mean, nobody, like even after all this, nobody went even anywhere close to them, um, even as they advanced. That um, at this point, um, you started to see civilians start to deface property, as in they started tearing down street signs. They started taking trash, recept trash receptacles and throwing them into the street, and taking street signs and throwing them into the street, and openly defacing property. 
Um, and mind you, these were all, <laughs> uh, from what the what I gathered, these were all uh, young white males who were doing this um, at the time that this was going on. Uh, and DPS continued to advance. Eventually, after three or I would say three rounds, solid rounds of tear gas that they deployed, the the crowd had completely left the area of the 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 cross-section of Jackson Street and Griffin Street and had really dispersed into other areas. After about 15 minutes, you know, me and me and my fiance Sarah, who was with me, we, uh, you know, we quickly went with a bunch of other protesters um, and people were offering milk for your eyes. There were people were high and handing out bottles of water everywhere. You know, it was shocked. Like I, I, I was shocked actually to see how, close the community was with each other as far as aiding one another uh, in this attack. And so we, we decided to follow a group that, you know, a group of probably two, three dozen other protesters who were walking in another direction. And finally, after about 15 minutes of walking around several blocks, we merged with what originally was, I can only believe, the big group that we were with. Um, who reconvened on Commerce Street. At this point, Dallas, P Dallas police had advanced to where our old original position was and were remaining there. And we, we had all converged back on Commerce Street um, and realized that Dallas police wanted a fight. They wanted a reaction. They wanted people to fight back so that they could justify the use of force. And so what many of the people in the crowd quickly realized is we just got to go in another direction. They're trying to contain us and they're trying to provoke a fight from civilians. So it was kind of a, a group consensus to move in another direction, at which point we started walking in the complete opposite direction of where DPD was and started moving towards the West End. And we marched all the way through West End um, all the way down to Woodall Rogers, and then we cut down through wide, Clyde Warren Park. And for those of you who don't know, this is a very large section of the north north part of downtown Dallas. And by then, we had the, the massive crowd of hundreds and hundreds of people had made it all the way down to what is essentially Deep Ellum, which is on the far east side of downtown Dallas. This is several miles, almost. And... At this point, uh, everybody was very fired up. Everybody there, you know, there were people who were bleeding, people who had bruises. Uh, everybody there was very, very fired up. Uh, and at this point, they decided to storm the highway. And uh, whoever was leading the group took them on to Woodall Rogers and essentially shut down the I-45, I-75, I-35 connection. And... Um, it was so it was so congested. I didn't go on the highway. I wasn't uh, at this point. I was. I, it, I didn't agree with going on the highway. I'd rather have gone back down to the county courthouse, uh, which I thought was more symbolic of where we needed to go. Uh, but they, <laughs> whoever was in you know leading this massive group, they took them onto the highway, and everybody went. And uh, hundreds of people shut down the highway for what could you know was easily an hour, hour and a half. Uh, in fact, the, the police and rescue, fire rescue, couldn't even get on the highway. They had to go 
several miles down on I-45 and can come up the southbound lane. Um, obviously, nobody was going in that direction because nobody could get that way. But uh, at that point, that was when we decided, okay, you know, this is enough. I've seen enough chaos for one night. I know what I, I, I saw in downtown Dallas. Uh, and so we made our way back to our original original parking spot, which was all the way back down on the other side of downtown. So we essentially had to walk all through downtown uh, to get back. Now, when we were walking back, um, every single block had two, three, sometimes four or five uh, DPS, uh, Dallas Police or Dallas County Sheriff's Office or DPS units there, every single block. Uh, there wasn't one block that didn't have multiple police officers and law enforcement essentially standing guard. Um, at one point when we were walking, I did see uh, one, I did see what looked like a group that was smashing windows. And this was in clear view of police, but they did nothing. They, they essentially allowed whoever wanted to go and destroy something to go and destroy it. Uh, that wasn't their priority. Their priority was to make sure that, the, that they were after the, the mass of protesters. Um, and that I don't, I don't really know. You've seen a lot of stories about piles of bricks just randomly showing up. Um, that conceivably could have happened in Dallas. I didn't see a whole lot of their bricks. I do know that there was a lot of construction going on in downtown, so it is conceivable that there were piles of bricks for construction, but um, I can't necessarily confirm that. Uh, but we ended up making our way out of downtown, and as we did, we saw another two, 300 people marching through downtown, a whole other group. And as we left, we were luckily we were able to leave, and this was about 9 o'clock, so we were there for roughly three hours. And about 9 o'clock, as we were leaving, there were another two or 300 people that were surrounding Reunion Towers. So you had multiple groups all throughout downtown, all doing various stuff, and police engaging the, the massive groups and not really too concerned with what people were doing in the periphery. So um, you can see why there was a lot of, of vandalism and, and looting that was happening uh, simply because the manpower that was sent to contain the situation with the protesters was clearly that was their focus uh, and anything outside of that um, mission was um, was just they weren't concerned about it so and, uh, initially when you were going out there um, was there did you receive some kind of a notice or did you how did you know to go there was there a group that you were connected with that um, said hey we're getting over to protest or I'm just curious how, how you knew to go to that place okay so um there wasn't there. What I had heard is I had heard rumors through mutual friends that there was a planned protest um, at City Hall around two o'clock, and so uh, I got off of work actually about four. So I didn't even you know by the time I got home from work, uh, I checked on a live screen from WFAA, which is one of our local news channels, and they had a they had a, either a chopper or a, a drone uh, hovering over 
uh, City Hall in Dallas. And sure enough, there were hundreds of people there. So I knew at that point, okay, there's something definitely going on. Let's go check it out. Got it. And that's how we made our way out there. So when you got there, um, did it seem that there were uh, leaders? Did you? Did it seem like there were some people that that were definitely um, directing the masses, or did it feel like it was just kind of chaotic and people were just doing whatever? It was just a mob. Um, there may have been some leaders. But by the time that we showed up on the scene, it looked like a pretty just huge group of people who were all, like, in the street. And, um, again, nobody was, like, destroying property or doing anything, like, uncivil other than being in the street. Um, And uh, I I didn't see any kind of, like, organized leadership. Uh, I, I saw several people who were, like, leading chants or were, you know, moving groups in a certain direction. Uh, But at this point, it it seemed like it was really just a massive community of of North Texans who were really there to, you know, just chant and um, and air their grievances. And and then at that point, it turned into chaos. So... One of the things that I'm I'm trying to establish is is sort of a way forward, and I'm trying to paint the picture based on different people's experiences in different places because there's a lot of different things happening (coughs) in a lot of different places. And one of the things that I'm trying to establish or, or determine, if I was an alien that just dropped in out of nowhere, I spoke the language, so I knew what everybody was saying, but I didn't know anything else. Would I be able to understand what was going on if I dropped right in the middle of this thing and saw this conflict, and I was there for an hour, half an hour, whatever, some period of time? Would I have been able to gather from my experience what was actually happening? Uh, Yeah, I think it was pretty clear. I think it was pretty clear that when you when you saw the group of people that were there in street clothes and with signs and with megaphones and, and the chanting and all of that, I think you would have recognized very quickly that oh okay these people are these people are upset about something or these people were um, they're 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 trying to change something uh, you know. It, it wouldn't be that difficult. You also, uh, Dallas police, you would have thought an invasion was happening on the other side, that they were, that there was clearly some kind of, some kind of strategy by which they were looking to take over a hostile threat. And, um, yeah, I think it would have been very easy to discern. Like I said, we had only been there for no less than five minutes. So I I, I don't know all the things that led up to that very moment. Um, I do know, like I said, there were no pro- protesters within 50 yards of the, the military police. So I know that they weren't agitating them or provoking them, uh, certainly not like some of the images you may have seen in Washington <laughs> or or um, Atlanta or 
other places. Right. Uh, there was a very, very great distance between protesters and um, DPD. So there wasn't an immediate physical threat. People weren't throwing rocks and bottles. Um, no, no, not finally, at all. Uh, not did at you all. experience the tear gas yourself, or yes. were you, and and what was that like? Burns like hell. Yeah, and then. Um, they shoot. They shot first. I was. I was first. I was shot because you didn't really know what was happening. All that happened was we were. You heard chanting, and then it sounded like machine gun, like a machine gun went off. Simultaneously, you saw what looked like mini explosions happening, <laughs> flashbangs, and then it sounded like bombs, literally bombs going off, uh, as they were chucking the tear gas. Uh, into the into the protesters so indiscriminately so let me let me be very clear this was indiscriminate they they didn't see somebody they thought was a threat and were were taking action on them there were women and children and when i say children i mean children in a stroller well, um, i heard a story about a child that that i was blinded by a, a rubber bullet um you know and I, I think the child was you know under seven or something like that i mean just a, uh, yeah, there were there were many children there, women. Um, again, like I said, all unarmed civilians. There was no contingent of um, open carry or concealed carry. You know, people there um, who were trying to flex their Second Amendment, the Second Amendment right. This was all completely unarmed citizens. And um, and you said yeah. you got struck by a rubber bullet. Um, now I. I I've seen a number of, when I was locked up, I believe they had weapons that shot rubber bullets, and um, there's a lot of different ways that, that a rubber bullet, it's like a paintball bullet. Only it's this guy right here. Only it's solid, right? It's, a, it's like a paintball pellet, but it's solid. Now, if you've ever played paintball, even a paintball that's full of liquid, when it hits you, it hurts like hell, and it leaves a bruise. Like you get, you get shot up by paintball, and you're not protected. You're getting all bruised up. Now that thing's solid. So when when I used to play paintball as a kid, some idiots used to freeze the balls so that they would hurt you rather than explode. And I, I would, and and when they hit you, I mean, it was like it was like getting thrown out throwing a rock at you by somebody who had a good arm. I mean it was a right. it was it was it was a serious thing and it didn't break the skin but man it it could have. And it's such a big that's a fifty caliber slug. I mean that's a, it's not it's not a small round. Um so where did you get hit? Got right here in my lower shin, um a little bruised little bruise and a little cutting of the skin. Luckily, you were kind of but far he, away. Those uh, they, they don't have a lot I, of range on them, but boy, you get within that that you know twenty thirty yard mark, and man, it's they hurt. Yeah, I didn't really know what happened at first um, because I'm not quite certain if it was a direct hit or if it bounced off of something and then hit me. Yeah. Um, I just felt a little sting, and but because. You all you heard was what sounded like machine gun. So it sounded like somebody was just unloading a machine gun. Wow. And and then 
and then at the same time you heard all of the explosions and the and the tear gas and everything. So really everything happened so fast. I don't even know if I really registered pain um, until like later on when I was like, oh, this kind of hurts. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: um, Are you planning to go back? Yes. Uh, maybe not to Dallas. I live in Fort Worth. Uh huh. Um, so there are, in fact, right now, um, Fort Worth is is being is on on major news networks right now with the the protests that are happening there. Uh, currently, um, as we speak, curfew in Fort Worth is in about 15 minutes, and I know that there's protesters out there right now in my community, and I commend them and I pray for their safety because uh, citizens of Fort Worth were also gassed uh, on Sunday night. So yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I really hope that that um, everything, everybody's safe and that police have learned some valuable lessons. Uh, but, yes, I, I plan on being a part of uh, another protest, maybe in Dallas, uh, most likely in Fort Worth. Uh, but I also want to see if I can be a part of a community cleanup project as well because um as a peaceful protester the media has portrayed us um in so many different lights uh we've been called looters we've been called rioters we've been called anarchists um we've been called antifa we've been called some of us have been called racist (laughs) like you know we've been what we're really dealing with is we have to one contend with peacefully contend with militarized police who assume we are a threat. We also have to cognizant be cognizant of people who are committing looting and things to that nature, uh, and really try as a community uh, in the moment to dissuade people from taking that kind of action uh, and doing those kinds of things. I've seen videos of people all across the country who. Uh, have taken direct action to stop people who are doing these kinds of things. Absolutely, and that, that's and part of that. We just, we, no, I'm saying that that's part of what you know. The story that luckily, or I don't know, maybe they couldn't avoid it, or maybe they found it was sensational. But even some of the mainstream news did pick up a few stories about you know some good folks doing good things. You know, protecting. Um, individuals cleaning up messes um taking a stand against against idiots trying to trying to destroy property um now let me ask you this the fact that you're out there protesting have you ever protested anything before yes actually um i i am a leader in activism uh in the state of texas when it comes to reforming marijuana laws so uh, to really preface all of, I know we've already talked about the protest, uh, but really a lot of my reason for being at the protest in the first place is because I've spent the last five years uh, going to the state legislature, late, let, uh, excuse me, going to the state legislature during legislative session, uh, working locally, um, doing what I can at the national level to change marijuana laws, uh, specifically within in the state of Texas. Uh, and my story, just to be brief, I was arrested 10 years ago for uh, a negligible amount of cannabis. Um, and I got to experience the criminal justice system uh, for 
less than a joint's worth of marijuana. And it was a very eye-opening experience, and that led me down the path to reform. And I understood uh, that my arrest was racially motivated, uh, and I, I know the impact. And you just look at the FBI statistics or even you know DPS statistics here in the state of Texas, you can see the racial disparity that marijuana uh, laws have on communities of color and as well low-income families. So uh, going to this protest to, po- to protest police brutality and to protest police overreach was something that's very near and dear to my heart and something that I do already just within the specific confines of marijuana reform. So, um, yeah, I've been to several marijuana rallies uh, here in Fort Worth, in Dallas, in Austin, uh, and uh, I've been to other peace rallies before. And what I witnessed on Saturday, I've never seen, like I said, I've never seen any anything like that from police presence ever. So one of the things that I'm trying to do, I've also been an activist for a long time, and, and I'm also, you know, trying to end cannabis prohibition and 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 in not in so much of a specific way but in a in an all encompassing way. But I I, I am now involved in uh, an event, a movement that is going to be happening in September and we're marching across the country to affect change. And it's not just one type of change, it's a number of change, but one of the changes that we're walking to marching to change is criminal justice reform, cannabis prohibition, um, every kind of inequality issue. I mean, you know, this is, we were, we were uh, born the same, and somehow our government and powers that be have separated us and divided us and determined that one individual categorized in a certain way gets treated different than another. Um, in any given way, and um, there's there's not equality and there's not justice. Uh, and there's a lot of things that need to be changed, and so we've been uh, mobilizing and organizing, and, uh, you know, obviously uh, um, had COVID not happened, we would be gearing up to leave um, in a couple of weeks, but we pushed this thing now off to September, and we're going to be marching through Texas. And, um, you know, I would like to, if you don't know about it already, I'd like to invite you to participate because I believe there's enough leadership and, and part of what I'm trying to do is get a sense of who's doing what and, and, and string together, become part of Forge Alliances because if we all want enough things that are the same, we should be bringing this together. You know, the cops already do that, right? The cops right. and the National Guard and the sheriffs, and you just name it all together. They strap on a uniform, put on a badge, put on a gun, and they stand together. Where we're all disjointed, discombobulated, and we don't know what the other one's doing. And we all, in a lot of ways, are doing the same thing. You and I are brothers in arms. We're marching for the same thing, but we didn't even know each other. But now we do. And and, and now I think it's 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 a good time to say, well, hell, you know, let's look at what the future holds. You know, what would you like to see come out of this? You know, we're marching 
um, because we're upset. We're marching because uh, injustice has happened. But I'm not hearing enough of, and I'm starting to hear some of, so it tells me that these these are being thought out and being being are beginning to be articulated. But what's the end game? You know, how do we know when we've got it? Like, what if we got justice? Would we know it? Would we feel it? Would we recognize it? Um, when would it be okay? When would we say, all right, that makes sense. Do we want no police at all in our lives, or do we want police that are fair and, and just? You know, I mean, there's always going to be bad people in the world, and those bad people are going to take advantage of, weak people, no matter what, so either we got to figure out to police ourselves or we got to figure out a way to have people that are police. Either way, there's got to be a way that it works, and, and I think that as we start having these discussions, it's super important right now that people get upset enough to do something. So I am I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that the, the, the citizens of this great nation have decided that they finally had enough. I'm disheartened and saddened that it's taken so much pain and suffering um, to bring that about, but so be it. Here it is now, and, and maybe, you know, maybe we can take this all the way to accomplishing this. And I believe in my heart that if we were to get this March Across America going with a good, clean, strong message and good unity of our own people, working with the law enforcement, they should be leading the way and protecting us as we're doing this. This is our God-given right, our, our constitutionally protected right to do this, and they should be encouraging us to do it. They should be, they should be protecting us from those who might want to distort it and, 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 you know, twist it into something that it's not. Um, so I would like to invite you to become part of our Walk for Change movement. Yeah, absolutely. However I can help. If you're, if you're here in Texas, Specifically here in the DFW area, um, whatever I can do to help. So um, you came to me through Candace Dyer. Are you and Candace connected? Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Candace is uh, a chapter coordinator uh, for one of our chapters of the Human Solution International um, through the Cannabis Open Carry Walk organization, and um, we're, we work together on a regular basis, and she's heavily involved in our Walk for Change. So. Um, I would love to in, include you in some of the, uh, the planning efforts as we're going, and I certainly would like to hear um, a, if you attend something further and experience something. Um, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to get the truth about what's happening so people can understand it and know how to react. You know, if you see cops coming, acting a certain way, maybe it's good to protect yourself and. Get the hell out of the way, or maybe it's time to suit up and put some body armor on and and walk into it. I don't know. I'm just saying whatever the answer is, let's do it with the plan, not have to be reactive. And uh, you know, maybe if we all walk into something with a plan, that we can actually see some results that we're setting out to. Well, Austin, we're running low on time. I appreciate you being here. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you, and I'm looking forward. Um, I will be marching through Texas, so. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person when we do that. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. So we're running very low on time. And um, I still got a lot to do. So I'm going to run a little bit long today. Probably not a whole lot long, but a little bit long. Um. 
we got Dana Bland on the line, and then we're going to talk about uh, some of the things coming up. I've got a lot to talk about, and I really didn't get much time to talk about a lot of it, but I think it's important that we hear the perspective, the, the real-time uh, reporting from people that are there. And um, I encourage you, uh, we'll be talking about this subject for the next several weeks, hopefully all the way into the Walk for Change. Um, it is my hope that this becomes more articulated, that this becomes um, more planned, that this becomes um, more organized in the sense that groups start working together better. I believe that there's some of that happening now, and I believe that this is um, this is a unique set of events different from all the other ones that I've seen previously. And it has the ability, if we take advantage of it, to bring about the change that we're, we're seeking. But we have to ask for it clearly and specifically, and there has to be a plan that makes sense. And that's what the Walk for Change is all about, not just talking about the problem. We know a lot of the problems. And the problems are becoming more and more apparent as more and more people are talking about them. What about the solutions? What about the answers? What about that world that we want to see? What does it look like? How do we get there? These are important questions that I want to hear the answers to. I would love to uh, schedule you as a guest. If you've got insight, experience that you want to share, <coughs> thoughts about how to make these changes we're setting out to make. Um, we got Dana Bland up right now, and Dana is a chapter coordinator of the Human Solution International, uh, the Hope for Change and the End of Prohibition chapter out of Arkansas. I don't know why I feel like I'm screwing that up right now. Dana, welcome to the show. I just had a total brain fart, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. Had a black, a black, a black spot. Yeah, you know, they, we had this black, this blackout yesterday, and I was looking at all these posts that had nothing on them, and all of a sudden, as I'm laying this out, I got one of those in my head. So, um, why don't you introduce yourself, Dina? Okay, I'm Hope for Changing the Prohibition, uh, the Missouri chapter here in Missouri, and so we've had a couple. Of at Arkansas because I just right met with a guy yesterday who is going to be involved in our organization from Arkansas, and I had that stuck in my head. I know you're from Missouri. I've been to your – well, I haven't been to your house, but I've been uh, I've been right around the corner from you. I, I, I know where you are. <laughs> All right, anyways, tell us what's going on in Missouri. Okay, well, uh, I just got word that uh, – Charlie White's being released from prison, and uh, which is a really good thing. He was the man they arrested. He's almost blind, and uh, his daughter was at the event that we had down here uh, from up there in Kansas City. Uh, also, yeah, and also, also, I got pulled over last night coming back from a cannabis class because I went a little too fast in one place accidentally. I just got a warning, but 
you know, I didn't get questioned about if I had anything in my vehicle or any of that stuff I've seen in the past. And from what I learned at the class, uh, DHSS is really getting better here now, and uh, things are starting to lighten up a little bit, I think, in Missouri. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, the thing of it is is we have to keep pushing. It's all about education. Um, as as laws change and as sentiments start to change, it, it takes us to reinforce that. And we need to not be a threat, you know. Um, a lot of these guys are old school, and they were taught <coughs> that somebody smokes a joint, and they go crazy. They go reefer madness. They don't know any better, and they don't realize that there's plenty of people that are self-medicating and functioning just fine. And, you know, um, action should be the determining factor in any given situation, not whether there was a presence of something. And I think as people can understand, as law enforcement understands that just because somebody may possess cannabis in their vehicle as they're driving doesn't make them a threat. So um, it takes time, um, and it takes us doing the right thing for a long period of time, peacefully, um, in, a, in an educated um, loving way, and I know that you exemplify that. So, Dana, how's uh, how's uh, everything else going out there? Uh, well, my, I'm getting a little better hop. Uh, you know, we're still recovering, of course. Uh, yeah, uh, the, these riots and stuff now, people should have uh, expected this to happen anytime the way it is right now. It started back in the 60s and 70s when they were going after us then. And uh, it's just never really ended. People have just been walked on, and our rights have been covered so long that, you know, it just finally came to a point that that people are just not going to stand for it anymore. And they're starting to open their eyes. It's a good time that we really start to press our message forward, too. I agree. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things happening, and there's there's a small group of people taking advantage of a situation. Um, at the same time, um, there's a lot of people pressing a message forward, and I believe that, um, you know, if we can articulate that message and join it with our own as well as echoing the, the, the prevailing message out there, I think it's, you know, this is the time for that. Well, Dana, um, if somebody wants to get connected or involved um, in Missouri, how do they get a hold of you? Well, you can find me here on Facebook, uh, a couple pages in Facebook. It's Hope for Change and the End of Prohibition, the Human Solutions chapter here in Missouri. Uh, and uh, we're there anytime. You can leave a message or message me, or my phone number is 417-847-7974. And if, if you've gotten having any problems uh, like that, and as far as uh, being arrested and stuff for, for pot, just taking uh know that there are there is help out there but you have to tell us before we don't even know about it absolutely yeah there's you know so many things have been happening in the last uh you know couple of months um people have almost forgotten that people are getting arrested and raided um for pot and that was one of the things i wanted to talk about on today's show but i'm not going to get a chance to 
but these cases haven't gone away. They've got set on hold for a minute, and they haven't stopped happening. Um, they may have paused for a moment, but when somebody gets arrested, regardless of where they're at, uh, I've been there. I've, I've, I've been arrested numerous times for pot, and I know that when it happens, it's like your whole world blows up, and um, you have to reassess everything, and you don't know... Um, you don't know who's on your side anymore. You don't know who um, who could do anything to help. You don't know what even you need. And a group like the Human Solution International that is here to help you isn't going to come and find you. We don't know you. We don't know where to find you. We don't have any magic way to, uh, you know, seek out. I have all, all the time I have uh, I get tagged in people's posts. And I am almost never on Facebook, but every once in a while I look back, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I, that's that's the worst way to try to get a hold of me. And, you know, somebody will be talking about a case, and somebody who knows about us will, you know, think that, well, just, just say the name, say the word, and all of a sudden magically will come. And more often than not, if that's the approach somebody takes, they're going to get let down. Um, but we are out there. We're available. We have a website, thsintl.org. We are all over Facebook in the sense of um, we've got a lot of presence out there. This radio show is here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 or 6-ish. And um, you can call up 646-929-2495 and talk about your case. We will find help for you on our website, thsintl.org, we've got a whole section dedicated to defendants. We've got a place for you to uh, upload and in, import your, uh, your case details, and we'll find a chapter that can help you. And if we don't have one nearby, we'll help you to organize one, and that's what this is all about. We've got your back, but we don't know who you are, where, where you are, unless you come and reach out to us. So thank you so much, Dana. You have gone above and beyond in so many ways. And I appreciate you and your wife and everybody who's been helping out out there in Missouri, not Arkansas. And I don't have a chapter in Arkansas yet, so when I do, I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Okay, well, well, you, so much, all right. Good night. <laughs> all right. Dana Bland, folks. All right. So before we get to Tom Corby to wrap up the show, um, we started talking about Walk for Change. We're going to be leaving September 20th. September 20th. We're a little more than 100 days out. We pushed it out because of all the craziness that's happening. Because of all the craziness that's happening, I believe we have even a bigger opportunity to make this happen easier, better, bigger, and more powerful. And we have the ability to make any kind of change that we want to see. You know, racial equality, hello. You know, I don't even want to get into that because it pisses me off that that's even a thing we have to talk about. Just like cannabis is just a plant. It drives me crazy that that's even a thing. But the truth is, any bad behavior shouldn't be tolerated by anybody, period. Especially not by government and by those that have power uh over us, 
in any given situation. And the truth is they don't. The truth is they don't have power if we don't give it to them. And this is our opportunity to seize our own power and to make our own will be known so that it can be done. And I think that rather than this thing going up and going back down and disappearing, it needs to go on. And instead of just talking about the problem, we need to lay out our case for the solution. And we need to march and keep marching. And I believe that as we march across America uh, starting September 20th, that we have a blank slate that we can paint on this canvas anything we want. Well, by the time we get to Washington, D.C., we can paint the picture of the world we want to see. And once we get to Washington, D.C., we will have <clears throat> the attention of those who can make big changes, both elected officials, corporate interests, media outlets, anybody that has any kind of influence will know what the people want as we're walking. Right now, right now, we have a website, walk4change.us. On this website, we have laid out why we're walking. We would love to include why you would want to walk. We would love to hear your story about what would cause you to want to join this walk across America. What would be a change you would want to see? And do you have a way to get there? Would you have a way to cause this to be solved? We need volunteers. We have a lot of volunteers that have raised their hands, and as this thing has gotten pushed out, uh, we're reorganizing right now. We're, we're reconsolidating. We're reaching out, and uh, we need more volunteers for sure. <clears throat> logistics. This is a massive project, and we have a lot of logistical work to do. We need to have people that open up their homes, their businesses, their restaurants, uh, places to store provisions, um, vehicles to offer support, driving people from one place to the next, carrying uh, first aid supplies, food supplies, camping supplies, all of these things we need to organize. We're going to be having a logistics meeting this weekend on Sunday at 3 o'clock Pacific time. And if you're interested in participating in this, we're going to have a special guest joining us who is a, um, an ex-Marine who used to do logistics for the Marine Corps. And uh, he's also an activist. I've done uh, a podcast with him. And he's going to be joining our call this week, and I would encourage you to do the same. If you're interested, get onto the website, walk4change.us, send us a message, and we'll get you the link on how to be there when to be there. Uh, we need people to walk. You know, this is going to be a gigantic relay. It's going to go from here, and there's going to be a staff that gets passed from one to the next to the next to the next. Some people are going to walk the whole way. Some people are going to leapfrog and, and walk here and then go back and walk over here and walk over here walk over here. Some people are just going to come and walk for a day, an hour, 10 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles. It doesn't matter. We need you to help. Right now we need your boots with ours to make these changes. Um, sponsorship, my God. You know, we've got some great sponsors um, and uh, we've got some companies that are, that are pledging numerous ways of sponsorship and that's going to increase as we're getting closer to this. 
um, but we certainly need more. We have a social media presence. There's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of these places. Um, you know, come and listen to some of the people that are involved. There's some serious activists. There are people that really want to see change and that are willing to do what it takes. A lot of sacrifices being made for this event to happen, and um, it's not unwilling. It's 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 a worthy sacrifice. Messaging, you know, um, that's the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest piece of this whole thing is that our message is clear. Um, when we say, would you like to walk for change, um, you know, what does that mean? It should be very, very clear. It is clear to me, and I believe that we've got a nice, clear message on the website for everybody to see and hear, but certainly would love your input, um, what you would want to walk for, what would cause you to be willing to walk with us. Uh, we need writers. Uh, there's a lot of press releases that are soon to be issued. Uh, there's events happening all over now that the, the world is starting to open back up again. These events are going to be virtual. There's a virtual town hall June 20th happening. There's a, um, a cannabis open carry walk event next Saturday, I believe. Um, so, And that's just the beginning. A lot of things we're going to be having a big countdown here. Um, videos. We have video editing we need help with. We're putting together a sizzle reel so that we can reach out to some big fish. And um, we also need people to shoot video, you know, and there's so much happening right now that could be uh, used with our effort as we're walking for the same reasons that so many people are participating and marching right now. So um, if any of these things interest you, just remember, you're out there wanting to make change and doing a lot of great things. I'm out here wanting to make big changes and doing what I can together. Together we can do more. Together we can make a big difference. We need you to be with us to help carry your own banner, carry your own group. It's okay. This is a multilateral situation. This isn't one group doing this. This is all of us. Um, but we would love to have some unity. love to have your help. Uh, all right. I think that's it for now. we got Tom Corby to wrap things up. And... Um, Let's see what old Tom Corby has to say today. Tom Corby, welcome to the show. Oh, I want to thank you, Joe, as always. And Candace for great screening. Becca, Lisa, all those on the front line coming in. Yeah, Becca back in screening again. What was that? I said Becca is back screening the board today. Oh, that's good. And then, uh, of course, she's caretaking for her mom, and that's a tough road to hold. And I got Frank Canan here, Dari Suzanne, and uh, there, and uh, our uh, new friend Jared. Well, not new, but yeah, with the radio show here today. And how uh, we thank him again for helping us so much getting through the day. Uh, well, when they asked me, uh, how I'm doing? Uh, that's that's a hard question to answer at my age, and I never thought I'd see the day that our country was in such 
disarray, we all agree that our right to protest under the First Amendment, that doesn't mean burning, looting, thieving, and a lot of these folks causing the turmoil are actually criminals that were let out of prison. So what's that say? So we, uh, Frank Nan's here today, and he would like to say something about peaceful protests. Oh, we had a peaceful protest here in Orville, and with no shooting or rioting, and see why the rest of the United States can't do the same thing. Indeed, well, and that's indeed. right. There have been a lot of, of places where that has happened, and uh, it is it is certainly the, the right way. You know, um, the real change is going to happen when we're able to use the rights we have with the responsibility that comes with them. And, um, you know, it seems that when, when anybody, and, it, you know, I think a lot of times it's not us, abusing this, but when somebody does, all it does is cause us to have more rights taken away as curfews have come in, and, you know, F you if you're going to tell me what time I can go out at night. You know, that's what I have to say about it. I didn't cause any problems, so who are you to tell me when and when, when and where I can be at any given time? Um, but that's the kind of thing that happens um, when people start uh, abusing a uh, situation like that. So certainly we encourage everybody to prevent that from happening. Oh, yeah, Joe, exactly. And then, uh, of course, uh, the police also can, uh, again, uh, veto bad laws. Uh, they can kind of get out of hand, too. We, we know that. Uh, it's good news to hear that all all four all four police officers have been charged now, and it's second second degree murder. And so I already see that that uh, the the violence is settling down. Uh, I see people on on Facebook, wherever, and they're cheering, and that's what that's all we all ask for uh, is. Uh, Truth and justice always prevail. Uh, on, on another good positive note, our good friend Jackie Cordova, if you remember when I first talked about her case down in Irving, I gave three to one odds that this case also, with all these cases, would be dismissed. Uh, she let us know last week that the case was dismissed. Uh, back, yeah. And lack of evidence. And then see, in most of these cases, there's no probable cause. And that's why we always filed the 995 dismiss probable cause motion and get all our discovery and take them to trial. That's what we do. I want to thank all of you again today for coming together and finally time to end prohibition and free all our POWs. No one should go to jail for our sacred plan. Thank you all today, and don't forget to just breathe. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tom, as always, and thank you all, NorCal crew, for getting out there and uh, towing the line. 
We will see you all next week, and uh, we'll have Willie Nelson send us off. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on my